The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to High FM where here I am with all the craziness of mobile and chat GPT and all the other really cool stuff that's going on in the technology age at this time. We're supposed to give you a full update of MWC, Mobile World Congress, last week. Unfortunately, <laughs> I caught the Mobile World Congress lurgy and landed up not being too well, unfortunately. Too much hot, too much cold. Picked a week in Barcelona where it was the coldest week in 20 years. It actually snowed. Unheard of snowing in Barcelona, but there I was dodging snow and heading off to many, many crazy and very interesting uh, mobile announcements, and we'll talk a lot about that later. But the big news of this week is that ChatGPT or SmartBots or AI or whatever you want to call it, it seems to be top of mind. ChatGPT, the guys who launched the first sort of really smart chatbot um, back in November, and that sort of revolutionized everything from education to coding, you name it, has an impact um, have now announced version 4 of their technology, which is an order of magnitude bigger, smarter, and more, um, what's the right word, more accurate, I hope. Uh, they say they've spent a lot of time on, on the back end, safety, security, lack of craziness, because unfortunately the existing chatbots tended to go off on a bit of a, a tangent and make stuff up and create very plausible um, looking, you know, content, which was absolute fiction, making up people, places, quite, quite unbelievable. Also, it was limited in terms of the amount of information it had access to. A lot of that information stopped in 2021, just after the world stopped for Corona. So there were, there were a lot of limitations, but as we discussed in this show a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, the whole point with chat GPT or these chatbots is simply that they smart. And they grow and they learn and they advance. And the, the scale of advancement is absolutely exponential. So every month it doesn't grow by a month. It grows by 10 months. And that rate seems to be moving really quickly because at the same time, um, Google also announced that they are going to start adding generative AI or smart bots to all their, um, online products such as Gmail and Workspace. So there's going to be all sorts of new features coming over the next couple of weeks, months as they roll them out to the, to the sort of market. And basically what they're going to be doing. And I think again, let me just reiterate and paraphrase what chat GPT is. Chat GPT is not Google. It is not a store of knowledge where you can find anything you're looking for in in anything that's online. I mean, Google started by searching uh, websites, searching information online, indexing it, and like a library, offering you a, an ability to quickly and conveniently search within a ton of stuff and then link to that stuff somewhere on the Internet. So in a sense, it was just a really smart, scaled library with links, index cards, if you want to call them that, to information all over the web. Obviously, advertising was added in, and over the years, they've added 
a form of intelligence to make your searches better, smarter. So before it was only a keyword search. You put in a word or two words and most three, and you came up with a, a search result. But as that whole platform matured and as search matured globally, uh, it became you could put in sentences and it would give you contextual type information. Well, ChatGPT takes that type of search and moves it to a totally different level. But its application and its what you use it for is very different to searching for information. So, for example, as Google points out with integrating this into their, their various apps, is that what it will do, it will help you draft, reply, summarize, and prioritize your Gmail. So you'll use fairly standard language. Please show me all the emails related to X, and it will go through it and give you all that email. However, then you could refine. Now will you just show me the ones that were sent in the last week? It will give you that information. Alternatively, you receive an email. You really don't want to spend the time trying to figure out how to answer it or you need a standard answer. What you can do is say, reply to email um, in, a, in a friendly tone, which sounds a lot like human speech. <clears throat> and the AI will do that, and you'll be able to uh, send it off either, modify it slightly and send it off, or just send it off. Or you could say, I've received 20 emails from Stephen. Just summarize what he was trying to tell me so that I can quickly understand where we're going with this conversation. And boom, it will do that. What you can also do within documents, you can put a list of documents, paste a list of documents, uh, a list of points into a document, and tell it to brainstorm on those. Give me some information. Proofread it. Write some information about that, depending on what you're asking. I hope you're getting the sense here that ChatGPT is not Google and it's not a search engine, but it is essentially having a smart assistant sitting next to you helping you. So you'd call your assistant in, tell them what you want, go write me an email to so-and-so based on the following, look at the other stuff, and that person in, in the real world would go off and do that. Your secretary, your assistant, your junior colleague, whatever. Well, ChatGPT, I'm not trying to say it's going to steal your junior colleague's job, but it certainly will change the way that you do it and the way that, um, you know, you approach these sort of things. For example, the other thing, and this I've seen on Microsoft as well, but Google are going to do the same thing. You can auto-generate images, audio, and even video in the Slides app. So take Excel, and I have no doubt this is coming to Microsoft very, very, very quickly. You can upload a picture. You can ask it, well, this is a feature of the new chat GPT, a picture of eggs, flour, and, and water, and oil. And say, what can I make with these ingredients? The AI would scan it and give you a whole host of ingredients, a whole host of um, recipes that you could potentially use. But from a more functional point of view in the Google setup, you can get auto-generated images just from words. Um, you can get an audio-generated music and, and voice and video in slides, which is pretty, pretty slick. You can also take data. If you've got just a, uh, an Excel spreadsheet or a, a Google Docs spreadsheet with tons of information, you can say, take this data and analyze it for the highest to the lowest. Again, you need to know what you want. You need to ask the right questions. But instead of you sitting there and figuring it out and understanding the macros and using, you know, Spotlight and all sorts of other applications to draw data or even Power BI, for example, or any one of the AI or even non-AI 
data analysis tools, you can just get the um, the AI built in to Google to do that for you and can generate formulas. It can create contextual categorization in sheets, and you can keep refining it simply by using words. And a whole host of other features. It's pretty – I've seen a couple of demos. It is pretty insane how far it goes. And the main purpose of all of this is simply to save time, to make your life a lot easier and a lot quicker. But what it will do, it will change the way that you interact with computers. Right now, computers are being pretty much driven by what you do. So you put in information, you take that information, you manipulate that information. And that was a huge time saving. Imagine having to do it, writing it all out and doing it manually. Those days are long gone. You just pop it into Excel. You write a Word doc, easily modify it. This takes that to the next level. Not only does it allow you just to do it online, but it allows you to speak what you need in a very quick and easy manner and then generate a whole host of information, applications, coding, you name it. You can just tell it more or less what you want, tell it how to do it or what you're looking for, and it will rush off, go through its database and come up with it. And that's exactly – I see we're running out of time in this segment, but that's exactly what ChatGPT has has announced as of yesterday they've announced the new the latest version of chat gpt it was version 3 up to now and that one pretty pretty good um but the new chat gpt 4 that was launched yesterday um is going to offer as many as four times the amount of words possible through the older version it's going to be much faster it has much more an order of magnitude more information at its fingertips, and it has the ability, as I said, to take a picture, and all you have to ask it is, what can I make with those ingredients? Or, you know, write me a blog post about this picture. There's a guitarist and a a band on a stage. You name it, it'll do it. So, so much, I haven't played with ChatGPT4 yet, because it's only available for subscribers subscribers to ChatGPT. You've got to pay $20 a month. I, I can see that I'm going to be doing so just to get the sense of what's going on in that world. But from what I've seen and all the reports show that this is another huge leap in machine learning and pseudo artificial intelligence. I don't like the word artificial intelligence, unfortunately, because this is not truly intelligent. In fact, I'm now receiving adverts saying, if you want real intelligence, Hire us. We're human. So <laughs> AI is coming or AI and chatbots and smartbots and whatnot are coming fast and they're developing even faster than we can imagine. And we'll be back. Well, with, we're going to be talking about some human stuff from our sponsors and we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, moving on to Mobile World Congress. This was, without question, the best one I've been to since 2019. Been to one or two in, in the interim, and they were shadows of their former self. But Mobile World Congress started off by the mobile industry getting together to share and, and highlight and announce all the latest technologies. Samsung used to launch their new phones there. BlackBerry, when they were still the boys to own. And Nokia used to always use Mobile World Congress to launch all their new devices and their new technologies and 3G and 4G and 5G. And now, whispering around, is 6G was announced at Mobile World Congress. And this year was actually no different, except there have been some fundamental shifts in the underlying sort of 
what's the right word? The, 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 the map of who is who in the mobile industry. The big boys, Apple and Samsung, did not. Apple's never been. They're there in I'm sure they're there. And I've noticed that they've even spoken at a few of the conferences that are part of it. But they're never at these big conferences. But Apple is the big daddy in the mobile device and tablet device. And certainly the end-user device industry by a long shot. They've got market shares across many territories that way exceed 50%. Europe not being one of them. Android seems to be a lot stronger here. But still, pretty pervasive. But Samsung, <clears throat> although they were the large stand as usual, most of the stand devoted to their, head, their handsets, a bit, bit of TV and a couple of other things, and a lot of work around what they're doing in the semiconductor space and a lot of information around what they also do. They are relaunching or launching. They already had a major 5G mobile and mobile networking division. So Samsung of scale, but no major announcements. What we'll be talking about later is the Samsung S23 Ultra. I've got the full review. I've spent some time with it now for a few weeks. So I've, I've got really the, the full picture. Well, you never get the full picture, but a close enough full picture of what the S23 range and specifically the Ultra looks like. And we'll talk about that now. So they don't announce anything. But the guys who did announce were the smaller guys. So Many, many devices were launched. Again, as I said, it is an industry event. But the smaller or up-and-coming and more, I would say, interesting of the mobile phone device manufacturers were there. And the first one out of the gate was a, a company called Honor. Now, Honor is big in South Africa now. They used to be part of Huawei. They were sold off just after or at the time that all the American sanctions effectively took Huawei out of the market. I know Huawei is still sold in South Africa, but my advice to anybody who's even vaguely considering buying a Huawei device is not to, for one simple reason. It does not come with any Google services. And although they've done a fine job at trying to get all their own apps or, or all the key apps into the App Store, there are still an, a, literally two orders of magnitude difference between their App Store and the Google Play Store or the or the um, Apple's App Store. And it, it just makes no sense. Every time a new app comes out, it comes out first on, on, the, on the leading ones, the, the full version of Google Maps, all the Google services that we've come to to love and enjoy just are not available on, on, on a Huawei device. And as such, no matter how good their hardware is they are essentially pretty much crippled. And now, unfortunately, um, as the sanctions bite even harder, their chipsets are old. They're not even cutting edge with regard to everything. Anyway, enough of that. But Honor were at Mobile World Congress, and they launched a whole host of very interesting products right into the teeth of Samsung, some wonderful uh, foldable products. They launched the new Magic 5 series, and with the Magic 5 Pro being the the flagship, but the 4 Pro came out, and I won't go into all the various differences, but the Magic 5 Pro, very well priced, beautiful design and build, impressive camera, really good camera. I didn't have a lot of time. I mean, you're standing in a show playing with it, but incredibly powerful hardware. All the latest technology with regard to everything comes complete with Google on board, really bright screen, 120 hertz refresh rate, 6.8-inch screen, and really, really good. The Magic 4 Pro is slightly um, down on that. But essentially, 
they have stepped up and filled an enormous gap in the market in terms of really high end all the way down to very moderately priced devices. And they, they're good looking. They've got full, a very slick interface based on Android running the full Google stack and absolutely, um, absolutely a good range of phones. So if you see them around, it's not a name that everybody knows immediately, but certainly they've got great heritage. Their technology is absolutely cutting edge. Their build quality is superb. And overall, as an Android phone, they certainly do a fine job of presenting the best of Android with all the apps that you need. And um, at a good price with a really good service and support within the South African. And what they did do was bring out a flexible phone, very much like the Galaxy Z Fold. It looks a lot like it, very simple. It's not available pretty much anywhere outside of China yet, but it is coming. Very, very nice build quality, felt superb, lovely solid build. It closed beautifully. I found that the, the crease, which the Z4 Fold, the Samsung, seemed a little bit more prominent. The crease was not quite as prominent. They really seem to have done a good job. But the flexible OLED screen is excellent, and it's light, and it's beautiful. So the competition in foldable phones is coming fast. They've also got a, a, a flip phone as well, pretty much like the, the Samsung one. Obviously, Samsung have set the tone here. But also, great quality, great cameras, um, Fantastic front screen as well. So it just shows you that there's definitely a, a lot of motion and sort of um, happening in that space. And certainly from the somewhat um, less less well-known things. Huawei did launch a few things, mostly a watch, which is quite cool. You remove the watch and you can change the case, not only the strap. But again, and it connects to Android, it connects to Google. They've got an app on the Google Play Store. So as a watchmaker, they're making some really cool stuff at really good pricing. Lenovo were also big at Mobile World Congress. Again, showing off gizmos and gadgets, brand new idea pad range with extendable screens and a whole host of different products. But really interesting, the idea pad Duet 3i, which is very cool. It's got like an expandable screen that goes up and some really smart technology in that space, and their range of all the standard Lenovo products. But Lenovo are really a lot more of that. They've got a whole enterprise section. They were showing off some of their hardware in that space, and very, very interesting point of view of, of things to see and to understand from Lenovo. I'll be doing a little bit more about the Lenovo stand because from a computer back-end point of view, there's some interesting stuff going on, and I think they, they're a company that sort of started off with the IBM ThinkPad, which they bought, and then the IBM hardware business, which they took on. It's 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 a company that has been doing solidly globally and has slowly but surely grown uh, as far as products and have always made really good quality products that are very competitive with the HPs and the Dells and everyone else in the sort of Windows market. So it was interesting to see what they were showing off at Mobile World. But the big competition, actually, which was really cool to see, and I'm going to touch on, I can see our time as usual is flying, I'll touch on all the, the mobile manufacturers like uh, Ericsson and, and Nokia in a few minutes because they both had some really interesting stuff around 5G and 5G+, Plus because that is coming quite soon, and 6G, which is coming towards the end of 2020, 2027 to 2020, 2030, when we'll see proper full commercial 6G rollouts, 
But in the meanwhile, um, a lot of stuff happening around 5G and use cases around 5G, which is pretty cool. But the big boys on the inside used to be Intel. Intel were there, as usual, showing off some of their new products, and they've got some really innovative stuff. But they seem to have lost the edge in mobile, certainly lost the edge in terms of mobile chipsets. They don't have much in that space at all. They tend to focus more on computer, server, and other associated chipsets, and they're doing some pretty impressive stuff there. But where the world's going in terms of 5G chipsets, mobile chipsets, the big boy is Samsung, interestingly, and uh, a company called TSMC who manufacture them or create the technology. They're down to three nanometer processors. But we're talking about companies like MediaTek that are now moving up the food chain. They used to be always a mid-range processor manufacturer, mid to lower. Qualcomm, who absolutely dominate and own the the space with their high-end chipsets, they are doing some amazingly innovative stuff. Obviously, all the new phones are using their processors, especially at the high end. Um, interestingly enough, even Samsung are using their processors in their latest range, the S23 range, and not their own uh, processor, which seems to have slipped slightly behind in the ranking. So kudos to to Samsung, they use the best that's available, never mind what they make themselves. Though the rumor, again, spoken of at World Mobile Congress, is that Samsung's chipsets for the next year are going to be pretty crazy and right up there and competitive with the best that Qualcomm can do. So let's watch the space. Competition is always good. But MediaTek were announcing some really interesting stuff with some of their latest 5G chipsets that are essentially a lot cheaper than anything that uh, Qualcomm can make. And yet the, um, the, the the sort of technical specs and capabilities of these chipsets are right up there, uh, if not the same or in some areas exceeding, but definitely competitive. So there's a great player in that space. But the big talk, both MediaTek and Qualcomm were talking about, was satellite communication. Now, Apple were the first to market. There's a little argument about that. Certain Chinese manufacturers are saying they were there first, but let's talk about actually going commercial. The current iPhone 14 range in, in America is able, with a little bit of training, to connect in an emergency situation directly to a global satellite network and send text and information, not voice at this stage, but certainly send information of where you are and, you know, on a, on a, on a fairly limited basis, allow you to send emergency communication utilizing satellite directly from your phone. A little bit of a fiddle to get there. I've spoken to people who've tried it. It has come to Europe as well, many countries in Europe, and it's slowly spreading throughout the world. And for now, that service is free. Who knows if it'll stay free, but right now it's free and it's pretty smart. That gives the ability for people who are outside of cellular range, which is becoming increasingly difficult to find pretty much globally. But there are many, many places where you don't connect to any network. And it would be wonderful to be able to, if you fall down a ravine or whatever, and you need to communicate, you, you shuffle around. And if you're able to shuffle, let's go there. And you can connect to a satellite and send an emergency uh, message with your location. Pretty smart. But anyway, uh, Qualcomm and um, MediaTek announced the ability for satellite communication built into the chipset using the Iridium network, which is sort of a low-Earth network of satellites. And that definitely sounds like a good deal, a little bit behind the curve in some ways, but it's out there. So 
Um, there will be a number of the, uh, uh, Qualcomm announced with Honor, Motorola, Oppo, Vivo, all, as I said, big growth in new, I wouldn't call them second tier, but smaller and not the mainstream manufacturers doing really innovative stuff. And they have all signed on for the Snapdragon satellite platform, which allows users to remain in contact even if there's no phone signal. And um, basically, the whole platform runs, as I said, on the Iridium network and, and makes it really simple to – I didn't see a, a demo. I just saw a presentation on it. But apparently makes it super simple to to use your phone pretty much anywhere. And that brings me to a, another really interesting – and I, we've only got a few minutes left, so I'm going to talk about – the big announcements in the in the sort of technology space. 6G is coming. There was Nokia and Ericsson and uh, one or two others who I'm not going to mention right now had prototype pre um, sort of certified 6G networks running. And one of the most impressive uh, demos that we got where uh, Nokia was showing one interesting capability. The general talk is that 6G will be 30 to 40% uh, faster and more capable than the current 5G or 5G plus networks. Remember, we had 4G and then 4G plus. Now we've got 5G and 5G plus, which are giving a lot of the benefits. But 6G is going to take, it will be more, much more of an evolution from 5G than a revolution. 5G was fundamentally and substantially better than 4G. 6G is going to be sort of 5.9 plus uh, G. It will be you know, easier to call it 6G. But there are a couple of couple of capabilities that were demonstrated that are a little bit mind-boggling and a little bit sort of um, Inspector Gadget type stuff. What Nokia was showing was that the 6G network, despite the fact that it's smart, so it has a lot of uh, sort of machine learning AI built in, so the network itself is self-healing, self-optimizing, um, and self-managing, which pretty much goes for what where tech is going in general. But it has another fantastic capability. It will be aware of its surroundings using radio waves. Now, that sounds pretty creepy, but here is how it could work. And it works in aggregate. It doesn't work in specific. Current networks can only know you're there if you're connected to the network. So if you smash the phone and switch it off, they don't know you're there. You, you cease to exist from a network point of view. However, built into all networks, even now, was the ability to read signals that come back off an object. Call it a type of Doppler effect. That's how sonar works. Bounces a sound wave off an ab object, it analyzes it, and then understands either the size or the distance or the speed or what's going on with that particular object. Now, 6G built into the standard, which Nokia are trying or busy working on with the rest of the industry, is the ability for the network itself to be aware of the environment in which it's broadcasting. So let's say you've got four or five towers in a particular area, 6G towers, and they're all broadcasting a signal. At the same time, they're reading the information that is coming back from where those signals go. So they'll know there's a building. They'll know there's a moving train. They'll know their people in aggregate. Now, it doesn't mean that they know who you are because you're not connected to the network. So from a privacy point of view, they point it out quite strongly. They don't know who you are, but they certainly know you're there and that you're moving, you're not moving, you're stationary, you're blocking something, you're doing something, whatever it is. They also know what else is there. So there's cars moving down the road, bicycles moving down the road. 
the entire network becomes aware of what you are and what you're doing. And the benefit of that, as they demonstrated, is that if you're walking down a road and there's a blind corner and along coming a truck and you're about to step out, if the truck is connected, they'll stop the truck. They'll say there's an object coming close to you. They'll send out a signal and tell the truck to stop. Sounds pretty brilliant. The other, the other use could be is that a whole lot of big trucks move into an area, for example, start blocking cell phone signals and you start losing quality of voice or quality of data. What they can do is immediately shift it around and, um, you know, optimize the signal from the various other areas. Uh, that they can to give you the absolute perfect signal. So they demonstrated it. You could walk down a corridor, you could wave your arms, and you could actually see that the system using only radio waves knew exactly where you were and what you were doing. And they even demonstrated as you walk towards a sort of edge, a car would come along and stop. So pretty scary but really interesting stuff. And the last thing that Nokia announced is that they're putting a 4G, net, 4G network on the moon on the next moonshot. So next time you're on the moon, you can actually connect with your standard cell phone to a 4G network. How's that going to be as a, a crazy forward-looking sort of thing? I was very impressed that they even had the right logo. Nokia have rebranded. They've got a new logo. But I think it was a quick Photoshop to put the correct logo on the moon stuff. But um, interesting what's going on in that space. But 6G is coming. It's coming really fast. And we're going to see a lot more in that space in the next little while. So now... We've got a quick break for our sponsors, and then I'll be back with my full review, a couple of tidbits from uh, World Mobile, but our full review of the Samsung S23 Ultra after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And just to quickly wrap up where I was before I get into the whole Samsung um, Galaxy S23 Ultra review, with a final wrap-up of Mobile World Congress, a lot of use cases around 5G, 5G slicing, which is something I've spoken about. In other words, making micro 5G networks in the place of Wi-Fi networks. Although Wi-Fi 7 was shown off, Wi-Fi 6E was shown off. In other words, Wi-Fi and mobile are moving closer to closer in technology terms. In other words, the robustness and the, the sort of ease of connectivity and the sheer data capacity of Wi-Fi networks is growing fairly exponentially, but on a completely different track to mobile, even though I do believe ultimately there will be one form of network, whether it's a mobile network or a Wi-Fi network, the fact is you're going to be ubiquitously connected in your home, in your office, on the go, and now even on the moon. So the way that all these networks are going, the technologies and the antenna technologies and the encryption technologies and the authentication technologies are getting closer and closer. I mean, mobiles, you switch on, you connect. The, the SIM does all the work. You don't need to put in passwords and usernames because that's all pri provided to you by the provider. And that now with eSIM can be updated in real time. It can be done very quickly. You don't need to get SIMs and all sorts of other assorted stuff. And I think... That was demonstrated at, at some great length within many, many vendors at uh, Mobile World Congress that the sheer ease of use, the capacity and speed, as well as the ubiquity of these networks is going to grow exponentially over the next three to five years that you won't even notice what's going on. The only thing that it's going to do, it's going to necessitate new hardware across both the network level, 
because these are not things that can be adapted because the antennas are different, the radios are different, the back end will stay pretty much the same, but there's always a scope to sell new equipment in that area as well. But from a user and consumer point of view, although they'll maintain massive backward compatibility for older devices back to sort of 2015, 2016, beyond that you're going to struggle, especially with 2G and older devices. But essentially, to stay on touch, in touch with all these latest developments. You're going to have to get new hardware, new products, new stuff all the time, certainly in the home and certainly everywhere else. So a lot of change coming. 6G is definitely going to be a big deal, and you're going to hear more and more about it as we go along. And the 5G uses, even in South Africa now, the amount of 5G is getting pretty pervasive. Wherever you go in the major centers, if you have a 5G phone, they connect. And 5G phones, another thing that was very apparent in mobile world. 5G phones, mid-range to lower-end phones are now 5G. So that is all coming at a rapid knot, you know, a rapid speed. So watch this space. There's a lot coming, a lot to know, and start saving a little for a brand-new Wi-Fi 7 router, which is going to change everything, especially if you're using fiber. Fiber mostly was running into 100, 10, and 100 gig. One gig is so last century. So <laughs> most of us are quite happy if we get 100 meg. But anyway, we're talking one gig and above for most sort of networks as a standard. So watch that and see what's possible with all that good stuff. I think all the AI is going to need the bandwidth as we go ahead. Now, moving on to a device I briefly reviewed on the, on the show a while back uh, at its launch, and that is the Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra. Now, I've been fortunate enough to get one in hand and spend some time with it. And in summary, let me just say the following. Initially, I was somewhat underwhelmed. Between the 22 and the 23, I could hardly see any difference. It's a little squarer. It's a little easier to hold. It's um, pretty much the same size, same format. The camera rings are slightly more prominent and a little less, you know, flush. Now they're sort of bumped out there. But overall... Uh, no one would notice you've got an S23, but if you had an S22. So from that point of view, why would you even think of an upgrade? But as I said, in a nutshell, this is an exceptionally well-integrated, smooth, and significantly superior device to the S22 that Samsung have brought out. And the difference is essentially in the details, not overall. So... The, the, the new Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 performance chipset that, or processor that they're using is exceptionally fast. In fact, some of the uh, tests that I've seen show it's right up there in the league of the latest generation Apple processor, which has never happened up to now. Every year, um, Apple has won the, the tech race by, by having the fastest and most capable processor. But this one is in the league. So from what I've seen, a couple of, of the benchmark tests have shown that it's right up there, and you can feel it. The phone is effortlessly fast and fluid in a way and manner that I've never experienced other than on an Apple device by now. The screen is exceptional. It is much brighter, much clearer, not much clearer, but certainly clearer than the previous generation, the S22, and the scrolling and the smoothness and the sheer sort of polish that you get out of the screen is instantly noticeable. It, every Apps open incredibly quickly. Um, everything moves along in a, in a fluid manner that is just, once you get used to it and you go back 
to the S22, you realize, oh, wow, what an incredible difference. So significant improvement in that space. The latest UI is good. It's as good as, and it's available on the S22. So I'm not going to talk much about the operating system. It's Google with, um, with Samsung's overlay. They still offer you far too much choice. They've still got their own app store with all the same sort of apps or similar apps or crossover of apps. I'm not sure why you need both, but Samsung being Samsung do a great job and it's effective, but you've got to update both all the time and some update some of the Google apps and some don't. A little messy, but um, something I'll live with in the, in the, in the greater scheme of things. Um, the design is definitely slightly better, more subtle, still super slippery. Get a case. This thing is not going to survive a couple of drops on the floor, but it is a lot easier to hold. It's not quite as, as easy to drop as before. The cameras are amazing. That's, I'll say that. The iPhone 14 cameras are superb and there are other cameras on the market that are pretty, pretty good, but these cameras are really good. And the one subtle thing they've done is that they've made them better across the board. Not in, in, in absolute terms, but what they've done is they've made them take better pictures just off the bat. So you, whereas the Apple interface and system will give you a 95, 98% um, good picture no matter what the lighting, no matter how badly you take it, how quickly you use it. The Samsung was in the 80, it'd be 85, sometimes spectacular, but occasionally, oh, wow, what happened there? Well, that now moved way over the 90%. Pull out the phone, take a picture, doesn't matter what you're doing, where you're doing it, and how you're doing it, boom, you get tremendous, tremendous uh, pictures. The other thing that is fantastic is the battery life has improved significantly. That's processor driven. I think the battery is pretty much the same size as before, but they've tweaked it in a way that you easily get a day and a half, depending on your usage. Obviously, got to have a corollary there. Um, the battery life is much improved. What has not improved in terms of the battery is, this, is the charging speed. It's got the same 25-watt charging speed as the S22, which is fast. I mean, no real complaints. But some of the Oppos and the uh, Honors and the rest either have 45 to 150-watt charging, which means 150-watt charging, you can get 80% in like 15 minutes or 12 minutes, which is pretty blistering, unbelievable. I don't know how those batteries are going to handle it, but the fact is they will. So all in all... Um, this is a significant improvement. Should you upgrade from a 22 to a 23? Well, that depends on how much of a geek you are. I'm a geek. I love these improvements. Definitely would upgrade. Would, for everybody else, possibly skip to the 24. Um, but right now, the S23 is without doubt the smoothest, fastest, most polished within a, a fantastic ecosystem of of, of Samsung Pay, service, support, you name it. Samsung do a really fine job. Um, and it is a superb, superb device, no question. So we have to, again, take a quick break for our sponsors, but I'll be back to wrap that up and then talk about something called PayShap, which is, you may have heard of, you may not have, but you'll hear of it right here on High FM. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back, and as usual, I always run out of time when I start talking tech, because as you can hear, I pretty much enjoy it. But just a quick wrap-up on the S23. It does come with the S Pen. They've improved it even further. It feels like writing on paper. It's a great addition if you like pens. I'm not a big user, but I certainly appreciate that it's there, it's useful, and the more you take notes and whatnot, it's great. 
there's a lot of promotions with Samsung. And what I've told you about the S23, with the exception of the screen and the camera, applies to the S23 and the the the, the Get completely blank. There's the S23 Ultra, there's the S23, and then there's a smaller version. All of them use the same processor, same quality, same everything, except for the size of the screen and a couple of features, camera features, and the S Pen, of course. So if the S23 Ultra is too big and too expensive, there are two others. They also offer a fantastic trade-in for an older device, up to 10,000 Rand, which is pretty good. And... Um, they're doing quite a lot of, you know, initial deals. Get some free earbuds, um, a thousand rand off here and there. So obviously do your homework before you buy such a thing, but because they're not cheap to start, they are retailing at around about 30,000 rand, which is not exactly inexpensive for a cell phone. But, and they come in two, two versions. There's a 512k, a 256 gig and a 512 gig. So, you make your choices, but highly recommended. Definitely one of the finest uh, Android devices on the market. The entire range, I've played with the others, but not spent a lot of time with them. They're as fast, as smooth, and have pretty much the same feature set. So you can pick the size and the form factor that makes sense for you. But if you want the best or the, the latest with all the toys, the Ultra, the S23 Ultra certainly ticks with its e, with its S Pen, every box electronically and keeps and and keeps the Samsung at the forefront of devices in the in the Android space. Now moving on to a quick little something that was announced in the last few days, and something called PayShap or PayShap. Um, obviously, the the um, the payment sort of in South Africa, there's a company that does all the payment. Um, clearing for all the banks called BankServe Africa. And they've been working on a new payment system which allows faster, cheaper, easier transfer of funds between people. Now they've announced it and it's called PayShap or PayShop. And um, it was announced on the 13th of March and it will go live with the big four banks immediately, FNB, Absa, Bank, and Standard Bank customers, and they can use that payment channel from today. What that payment channel is offering is instant payments at a lower price for now. It's also aimed at the bottom end of the market, so you can send up to 3,000 Rand instantly with a payment limit of 5,000 Rand per day. Um, and here's where it gets super murky and I don't quite understand what they're doing. Is one that is, if you're, if you're a bank customer, FNB, one of the big four banks, including Investec, or any of the banks out there, you already have the ability to pretty much send funds immediately. It costs you some money in some cases. Discovery Bank, on the other hand, make all payments instant at no, no cost. Um, some of the other smaller digital banks do similar things. So if you're already banked, it's wonderful. You can, you can do all this stuff. If you're not banked, it's not going to make any difference to you. And the costs, having looked across all the various banks, are anywhere from four rand fifty up to sixty rand for the service, which again seems to defeat the purpose. The only real advantage is that you can send to a cell phone. The problem is you've got to link your cell phone to your bank account and set it up that way. So you're back to this is another way to send money, which may be technically superior in the back end, but practically as a customer it makes no difference. So 
let's wait till they start rolling out more and more features and more and more ability to work across more and more banks and more and more platforms. And then I would give it the thumbs up. Right now, it's cool. It sounds cool. Uh, pay shop shop makes some sense in certain markets. But again, I think they're missing the point and they're missing the market completely. Those that will use it don't need it. And those that don't need it won't use it. So <laughs> technology sometimes, unfortunately, does that, but it shows the way to a faster, cleaner, more technically adroit way of transferring money. Let's wait and see how that all goes. And I've been told my time once again is up. We need to move on till next week with more tech and more gadgets and more gizmos and more craziness, which I absolutely love. So stay tuned. Join me next week, same time, same place on High FM. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk.